always feel like when it does it, it should go whoom, zoop, and come right back in or something. Like it needs to just start going. Uh, just as a reminder, as Becca was talking about, Monday, Thursday, don't forget that's Thursdays. I know it's time, time's hard to get, because I've always done Good Fridays, this Monday, Thursday, Thursday night, uh, 6.30, and it, it's not that if you don't believe in Jesus, you can't come, it's just there's metaphors and stuff we're not going to explain like we normally do on a Sunday morning, so if you believe in Jesus, it's probably a good place to go to really, you know, think back on what he went through to rescue and save us. Uh, also, uh, we are stuffing some... Uh, Easter eggs for the kids over at Delta, and we are doing it at 6 p.m. tonight in the youth room. And if, <laughs> thanks, Mark. <laughs> uh, if and if you would like to help out and stuff some eggs for the kids over there this week for the little Easter egg kind of hunt that we're doing for them, uh, six o'clock tonight, you can hang out in the barn with the kids and, and stuff all those. We also, if you are in a gospel community or really are someone who loves to reach out to your neighbors. We still have uh, some empty Easter eggs that you can take and stuff and kind of put around your own neighborhood for, your, for the people in your neighborhood if you just want to be like it. We get it. Look, rabbits don't lay eggs. We understand. Uh, and Easter eggs, what do they have to do with Easter? Not much whatsoever. But, it, uh, you know, little kids love them, and it's a great way to reach out to your neighbors and friends. So if you want to, you can grab some or that. Now, I also want to tell you, so this morning I come up, And this was sitting right here. <laughs> if you've never been to Element, last week I, I talked about pickles, and it's a great representation of sin. Because once something gets like pickle juice on it, it is infected, you can't get it out, and I hate pickles. And this right here, it says, make a wish. And I wish that these were not here. <laughs> but somebody, I, and I swear... Uh, I think Sean Jones or John Warren were talking about this, and they said, they go, you know, maybe when you talk about things you don't like, people will give those to you. I hate classic cars. <laughs> I'm sure my wife's going to be very excited about this because she will get, Marianne, look. <laughs> anyway, yeah, whatever. Pickles are terrible. Uh, someone needs to repent and... <laughs> All right. Hey, if you, if you are new to Element, welcome. There are Bibles in the seat backs in front of you. If you don't own one, you can have one. If you forgot one, you can use one. There are sermon notes on the communion tables throughout the room. They look like this. On the inside, on the left, you're going to get a half-page recap of what we talk about today. On the right-hand side, you get a whole list of questions that you can talk to your friends, your family, your gospel community about. On the back, you're going to get the verses that we're going through. On the bottom, you get a place for notes. If you have a smart device, you can download an app. It is called Uversion. Then you click on More and then Events, and Uversion will come up by GPS in your smart device, and you will get sermon notes, verses, questions, announcements, and all that goes with today's message. My name is Aaron. I'm one of the pastors here. Why don't you stand with me for the reading of God's Word? And this is James chapter 4, verse 17, and it says, So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. Pickles on the stage. There you go. Uh, let's pray. Uh, Father, we thank you for being such a gracious and a good God to us. And I ask that we would live out our lives in the world around us, reflecting who you are and your goodness. That there are things that you have set out for your people to do and be in the world. And we would naturally live in that, not because it makes you love us more, but simply because we understand the great salvation that we have first received. So teach us to be a people who glorify and honor you in all that we do because you are gracious and good. Amen. Have a seat. <clears throat> 
All right, so we are doing this series through the book of James. This is week 14. Today we will finish chapter 4. Next week is Easter. We're going to do a different message on Easter that's not in James. But the week after that, we'll come back and we will spend five weeks in James chapter 5. I didn't do that on purpose, 5 for 5, but that's what we're going to do with James chapter 5 when we come back. Now, James asked a lot of hard questions to us, but his questions are also very practical. Uh, James has been arguing, really, there's only two ways to live our lives. Uh, life in true wisdom or false wisdom, wisdom from below or wisdom from above. And the, this will all come down to essentially how we view God in our lives and how he works in the world. Open your Bibles to James chapter 4. It's on page 655 if you have an element Bible. And so when we see God's view and, and how he sees the world, we are going to then move that into how we treat others, how we be, uh, regard poverty and wealth, how we regard our stature among other people. And today is going to take that and move it to the place of arrogance and how we think we have ultimate control over our lives and over our circumstances. So I'm going to read you all the verses we're going through, then we'll start to talk about them. This is James chapter 4, starting in verse 13. And it says, Come now, you who say, tomorrow. Today or tomorrow we'll go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade to make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. And it sounds like he's going to finish there, but he doesn't. He hits verse 17. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. Now, setting goals is something all of us should do in our lives. Uh, some of you have to do it for work, and some of you just don't have to do it for work. But all of us are made sometimes with a certain focus in our lives. And some of us love to make plans, and some of us love to go willy-nilly, spontaneity, whatever happens is going to happen. But regardless of how we are wired, there are certain things that we expect of tomorrow. You right now expect that you will wake up, that you will get out of bed, that at some point you will probably eat something. If you have meetings or friends to get together with, you will get together with those friends. And at some point you will also probably go to sleep. Unless you're a really night owl, then you'll go to bed the next day. But you plan to, to go to bed at some point. And here's the thing. We don't actually know what tomorrow holds. And James is being very generous here because if we're honest, we don't even know what today holds. I mean, we have an idea of what we're going to do after this service. Maybe you're going to go get lunch. Uh, you're not going to invite me because I'd probably say no anyway. But, you know, you're going to go out and eat some lunch or do something like that. I usually after service, I, I head home. I'll hang out with my wife. But I don't know if I'm actually going to make it home after service. My wife hates it when I talk like that, by the way. You know, <laughs> at some point, I think I'm, I will go to bed. But in truth, we have no idea what will actually happen. There isn't anybody in this room who your entire life can't change with your cell phone going off in your pocket right now. Just seeing, just seeing if it would, it, it didn't, whatever. We're fragile. That's what James is pointing out. And James is not saying you shouldn't plan at all. That's not what he's saying. He's saying that there is a fundamental difference in how we plan and go about our lives that is different than the way we ordinarily do it. He says the normal way that we do it could, in the end, be arrogant and boastful because we do not think about God in how we go about it. Many times we try to get God to conform to our own wishes, to our own desires, to our own plans. And when it doesn't work out the way we want, we get mad at God. 
And when he gets to verse 17, and he will say, anyone then who knows the good he ought to do and doesn't do it sins, it almost feels like it's not connected. But it is, because we translate that word so as connecting those two things together. It means it's all connected. And what, is, what he's saying is, there is a thing in our lives that is so huge, we totally miss it. Because we live in the midst of it, and we commit it all the time. It doesn't require effort. It doesn't require energy. It is committed by not doing anything at all, going with the flow of our life. And it is how we forget God. Now, when Tim Keller talks about this, he likes to liken it to smells. And the thing is, we all have smells. Uh, your, your parents' house has a smell. Your friend's house has a smell. If you have kids, your kid's room definitely has a smell. Your kid's bathroom has a smell. Uh, your, you have a smell. You don't smell your smell because you live in your smell all the time. If you go on vacation for a week and come home to your house, you're like, oh, what's that smell? That might be you. You might need to breathe some of that smell. But if you walk into a room that you've been in a million times and something's off, you will instantly smell it. So back during COVID, I guess COVID's still going on, but back during COVID when everything was six feet in the women's bathroom, we had to tape off one of the stalls. And over eight months, no one used it. All the water evaporated through the trap and the whole bathroom started smelling like sewage. We knew something was off. The women's bathroom doesn't normally smell like sewage. So we're like, what ha we had to go out and figure out what happened, and then we went and, and we fixed that. But if you live in a town where there used to be a sugar beet factory that was on all the time, eventually people didn't smell the sugar beet factory. Uh, if they put manure on the fields, after a couple months, you stop smelling it, and people drive through Santa Maria and go, woo, this place smells bad. It, uh, Mike Harmon, one of our elders, he, uh, I hopped in his car a week and a half ago, and he's got these little air fresheners all in it. And I, I just said, I, it doesn't smell bad at all, it smells fine. But I go, can you even smell that smell? And he goes, no, not at all, because he sits in that smell all the time. My truck probably smells like my dog, because my dog rides in my car with me almost everywhere I go, and I don't even smell it anymore. My wife sometimes would be like, whew, smells like the dog in here. And I'm like, yes. When you live in the middle of something, it just becomes natural to you, and you don't notice it. Uh, th there's this old quote, and it says this, if you want to know something about water, just don't ask a fish, because if you ask a fish to describe water, the fish will say, what's that? Because a fish lives in water. That's their environment. And that's what James is saying here, is that there is a sin that we live in our lives that's so pervasive and it is so huge, we most of the time never even see it. And it's when we go about our lives making all of our plans, never once thinking what God wants us to do in the midst of all of those plans. We're not running around committing sins like, like it's Mardi Gras or prom night or something like that. We're just going about our life forgetting God. And in the end, that could be one of the most ruinous things for us. It's terrible. It's dangerous because you could get into a relationship or you can take a job or you could set a goal for your life or do something in your schedule and never think about God in the midst of it and what glorifies him in that. And this is why James keeps coming back to the ideas of our words and our hands and our hearts. And today, he's really going to kind of go after our hearts in the midst of it. Now, again, I said, of course, we have to make plans. But James says we ought to do that with God in the midst of our decisions, honoring him, loving him in the midst of those, because that is wisdom from above. Now, when it says that we should go around saying, if the Lord wills, in Latin, this is really cool. I'm going to give it to you because it might make you remember this. But in Latin, it's this phrase that says, Deo Valente. Put that on t-shirts and mugs and hats. Deo, say it with me. Deo Valente. 
You sound like a cult. Anyway, <laughs> but, but Deo Volente means God willing or the will of God. So you read this verse and it says, what is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Why are you even here? Deo Volente the will of the Lord. He wants you here for a reason. Now, the word mist there is the word for vapor. A couple years ago, we went to the book of Ecclesiastes, and Ecclesiastes spends a lot of time talking about this, that vapor or mist. It's not like a fog that lingers. As soon as the sun hits it, it just kind of goes away. And this is what he's talking about. Our lives are like this mist. We are where we are because God wills it to be so. And so why is it bad in our lives not to say Deo Valente or God willing? Well, there's a couple reasons, and I'm going to give you a three-point sermon today. You're welcome if you're taking notes. Number one is this. Forgetting God is dishonoring to God. Forgetting God is dishonoring to God. And I'm going to go to this is how it's really bad for us, but first, that's the first one. Now, no one likes being forgotten. But God is not like us. God is not sitting there going, oh, I got a bruised ego because they forgot about me. That's not God. God doesn't need us. We need him. But there is something to be said about us and our lives when we forget him. How do you feel when you're forgotten? Not great. One, uh, I listened to this podcast of these writers, and then they talk, and they're, most of them are best-selling authors. And as they talk about this, they all tend to come back to the same thing, where they say that what is worse than critical or negative reviews of their books is no reviews at all. Because they'd rather have something critical or negative than being forgotten. Because when you're forgotten, you are a vapor or a mist. Someone has a party, right? And it's not that they didn't want to invite you. You just weren't important enough to remember. How do you feel in that? When you're forgotten by somebody you love and respect, it's not great. But secondly, in this, in the Old Testament, God actually denounces people for this sin of forgetting him. Only thinking about him on feast days and holidays. Hey, Easter's next week. Let's go to church and think about God. All right? Psalm 9, verses 16 and 17, the writer draws this parallel. He says, the Lord is known by his justice. Then he'll go on and say, the wicked will be sent to the grave and all those who forget God. It's this connection between justice, wicked, forgetting God. To be remembered is to be recognized and treated as someone of substance. If God has no substance in our lives, no glory, we become untethered and we spin out. In Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 32, God says this to his people, Can a virgin forget her ornaments or a bride her attire? Yet my people have forgotten me days without number. It's so interesting that God uses this analogy to get his people to think about what they do with him. I have done lots of weddings, and I have never once seen a bride forgot, forget to put on her makeup. Never. I have done a wedding where the bride was 45 minutes late to her own wedding, like on the thing. This is the time the wedding starts. People are in their seats. 45 minutes later, she rolls in with her posse. And I'm like, oh my goodness. And what did she do? She went to the hotel room and the place that the wedding was. She put on her makeup. Took forever. Their makeup. And she put on her dress and put on her jewels. And then she came down that aisle. Because God says there's no bride that forgets to put on their makeup or their dress. Because that day is important to them. I mean, there's nothing more important on that day to look the best that you possibly think that you can. And God says, you remember the things that are important to you. That's our hearts. And he says, but I'm not that important to you. And that's so true in how we live a lot of our lives. James says, forgetting God, it's not just evil, but it's boastful and arrogant and proud. Because when we forget God, by definition, we are assuming God's place. Even people who don't believe in God, when they do that, they put themselves or somebody else in God's place. And that is why our view of God, whether you believe in him or not, will inform all that we do. 
Augustine, in his book Confessions, the early church father Augustine says, we're made in the image of God. We are built to reflect him. But because of sin in our lives, we have been distorted. And so in our sin, we are still seeking to resemble God, but we are looking to resemble him in sinful ways. So I'll give you two big words. Uh, if you haven't heard these before, you probably did in the last couple years in regard to diseases and pandemics. These are the words called communicable and incommunicable. Okay, so communicable means uh, the bat's going to give you the COVID. It's going to cross the line and you're going to get it. Incommunicable means that the bat, whatever it has, you're not going to get it. Okay, so communicable, incommunicable. Now, forever, theologians have used this to describe the attributes of God. There are communicable attributes of God, things that God has in himself that he lays and bestows upon his people. This would be like holiness and love and truth and grace and wisdom, communicable. God intends for us to catch them, to live in them. And so we, through the Holy Spirit, would become gracious and truthful and wise and righteous. We become holy. But there are incommunicable attributes of God. And these attributes are not necessarily just his character, but his being. They are incommunicable because he is eternal and we are not. And so you have certain things like God's omniscience, that God is all-knowing. God knows everything. Doesn't even have to think about it. He knows it. If he doesn't know it, it doesn't exist. There is God's omnipotence. That means God is all-powerful. There is no limits to his power. That God is, has an omnipresence about him, that he is in in everywhere at all time. Time is a completed event to God himself. There is this thing called God's aseity. And God's aseity means he is self-existent. He is self-derived. He is the uncreated one. He needs nothing. He has no beginning and no end. He is not dependent upon us. We are dependent upon him. He is absolutely sovereign. He is absolutely free. And this is what actually made the Jews bow down and worship of God. That this God who is unbound to anything would bind himself to his people in love because he cares about us. So Augustine said that because we were made in God's image, we have to resemble God in some way. But because of sin, we no longer care to resemble God in his communicable attributes. What we strive for and look for now is to resemble God in his incommunicable attributes, which we can never, ever obtain. Like we forget God and we don't care about righteousness, but we care a lot about our own power our own omnipotence. We don't care about holiness, but we desperately care about our self-existence, our aseity. Like when we forget God, by definition, what we want then are his incommunicable attributes because we become untethered. We just start flying around. We're not tethered to him. And so we try to step into God's place like we have the right to make all the calls in our life and in the world, but we don't have enough knowledge to even know what is going on. Because we are finite. By definition, to forget God is to assume God's place. That's why it's disrespectful. But it's also bad for us. Point number two. You're taking notes. This forgetting God is bad for us. How is it bad for us? Well, how couldn't it be after what I just said? But think about fear, anxiety, worry. I mean, what do you think worry really is? Many times, if you break this down, worry and anxiety is a frustrated aspiration, aspiration to omniscience. It, it is saying exactly what James says. You sit in bed late at night, worrying about tomorrow, worrying about the conversation, worrying about what's going to happen here or this at your job or with your friends or your life or whatever, and you just go over it, over it, and you're like, I know this is going to happen. I know this has to take place. I know this is what's going to happen. And we worry because we think it has to happen the way that we think it's going to happen. We do. And so we're afraid to simply live our lives trusting God in every moment. Instead, we say, I know what has to happen. I don't think God can help me get through that. 
That is an aspiration to God's omniscience. And you start to get eaten up with worry because you're aspiring to something that we don't have. Even those who say they don't believe in Jesus, you know, do this as well. They worry about tomorrow. They want this thing. And people who do believe in Jesus, they do the same thing. Oh, I believe in Jesus. He's in control. But if he doesn't do this tomorrow, I don't know what I'll do. It'll be a disaster. And it's forgetting God. It is assuming his incommunicable attributes. The truth is, if and when we forget God, we also have forgotten who we are, that we are finite, that we are not in control of everything. If we remember that God is God and we're not, you may not get something you hope for or you're praying for, but you can go to sleep at night because you know God holds you. And God holds that thing in his hands. And it's not that you'll never be anxious. It's not that you won't ever have worry, especially if there's a conversation you know that you have to have like later today or tomorrow or this week at some point, but it's not going to destroy you because you know that God holds it all in his hands. Think about envy or failure. Do you ever look at somebody else and think, I wish I had what they had. I wish I was in their place. Why do they get that and I get this? I want those things. The core of looking down on others or ourselves is this aspiration to omnipotence, to God's power. It's forgetting and assuming God's place in our life. It's a mistaken belief that those people who have a better position or a position that's not as great as ours did it all on their own skill. And that's ridiculous. We're not in control. We forget God, and therefore we forget who we are. And this, in the end, makes a lot of people very, very bitter. Forgetting God makes us anxious and proud. We're going to go back and forth. Sometimes ping pong ball, people do this between superiority complexes and inferiority complexes. Back and forth, back and forth. Uh, Keller said something to the effect of, I actually changed the quote, I added words, so it's probably not a quote anymore, but I got the base idea from him. This is what he says, if we don't believe in who God is, we are still going to learn about our finiteness, but we will learn about it without grace and without the gospel. We will still learn at some point in our life that we are not in control of anything, that we are finite, and it will destroy us if we do not live in the love and the hope and the grace of God. Point number three, if you're taking notes. So, how do we avoid forgetting God? How do we do that? Deo valente. Deo valente. Uh, chapter 4, verse, starting verse 13. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we'll go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you are to, ought to say, if the Lord wills. Deo valente. What he's saying is we have to take every situation that we are in, any plan, any condition, any emotional state, and we must in those moments remind ourselves that the only reason we are even still breathing is by the grace of God. That God, even though we forget him, has never once forgotten who we are. Jonathan Edwards said he would get up every day and he would remind himself this. I must remember this, that everything I enjoy today, which is better than hell, is strictly by the mercy and gracious upholding power of God. Right? Even those pickles. Very close, but still better than hell. Very close, right? How different our attitude would be towards life if we walked around with this in mind. Deo valente. Do we believe what we really say we believe? And that's what James keeps coming back to. What James wants us to do is think about how we're living, wise or unwise. What's going on in our hearts? And when I say we should say Deo valente, I don't just mean you're trying to sprinkle your life with pious words. That's not what he's saying. Oh, bless you. Oh, the, you know, oh praise the Lord. That's not what he's saying to do. As a, uh, I'm going to go wakeboarding next week. Deo Valente. I'm not. I wish I was. But you know, just trying to throw pious words in there. 
John Wesley, in his direction to young pastors when he was training them, he, he went out of his way to tell them to avoid pious language. He says it's not just irritating to Christians, but it is even irritating to non-Christians because it sounds like we're trying to be more pious than we actually are. And sometimes we do this with one another. We will use these words to try and make us all sound flowery like we have it all together, but we don't have it all together. Sometimes people will say to you, oh, I'm praying for you. And you know they haven't been praying for you. They just say it because it sounds nice. Uh, I was talking to someone a couple months ago and about cr people on Christian TV. If you like Christian TV, please don't ever talk to me. I'm really sorry I'm going to offend you right now. Um, but we were talking about this certain person that's on Christian TV. And I don't watch Christian TV, but I know who this person is. And I said something like, they really need to understand the gospel because I don't think they do. And this person goes, you can't question God's anointed. And I go, oh, oh. I said, you want to talk about this? Do you know what anointed meant? That was the Messiah. He was the anointed one. Jesus was anointed. Not me, not you, not that guy on TV. Conversation did not go well. But sometimes we have these pious words we throw out thinking they mean something. And God is constantly bringing us back to the place where we would simply say, Deo Valente, it is God who is in control. God is the one that we follow. What James is saying and Jonathan Edwards says is we take every part of our life and we say, this is all grace. The fact that I am alive, the fact that my heart is still beating, even the I eat the way I do and my heart is still beating, it's all grace. If God wills it, I will live. And if we live in that, James says that understanding will transform our lives. When, when something goes bad in your life or you get worried, we have to say it's all grace. You don't have to hold yourself up. God is in charge of everything. How did you get through COVID? How did I get through COVID? Deo volente, the grace of God. And on the other side, when you do something really, really well in your life, when someone comes up and they oh, you're great at that. That's so amazing. What you say is Deo volente, and it keeps you from getting a big head. You know what Deo volente does? It helps every single one of us to settle down. You've got to settle down a bit. We're so reactionary to everything. Deo Valente. We trust God in every single one of our moments. What we do, we do in God's strength and not our own. It is all built upon Him. And I am not saying another pious phrase, just let go and let God. That's not what I'm saying. It is a recognition of the reality of who God is in His power, in His majesty, in His person versus who we are. And if you are prideful, that will bring you down a bit. And if you are someone who deals with despair, that could bring you up a little bit. It doesn't mean you're never going to get worried or concerned or weep over people or their actions or your hopes that didn't see fulfillment, but it's not going to destroy you. It's not. Deo volente. And there should be no superiority complexes. There should be no inferiority complexes because it's all grace. Because we remember God himself because he first remembered us. And I know it sounds like I'm wrapping up, but I'm not because there's one more verse there. Okay, and he goes to this, verse 17. This is how he pulls it together. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. Now the context in what he's talking about, the right thing is remembering God in all of our moments. But that remembering God in all of our moments will then transform how we live 
every single part of our lives with our words, our hands, and our hearts. So when James says this, he is then talking about all the areas in our life that we fail to remember God, but if we did, we would then start to begin to live differently. We are actually told in Ephesians 2.10, after we are told that we are saved by grace through faith alone, this not of ourselves, but he will then go on to tell us that God has designed certain things for you and I to do. He has set certain things in our lives. He has created us and now as his work of art. And he sends us. I know, we're not a great, we're like all Picasso and messed up and whatever. And we go out in the world and we are God's work of art and how we love the world around us. That's what we are meant to be, God's poem to the world. I don't know if my poem looks that great all the time, but that's what we're told. And we don't do these works to save ourselves. We do these works because we are saved, because God has already first saved us. And so James's question here becomes, are we doing the good things we know that we should be doing? And James' take here is very positive. It really is, because he's already done the negative of, are you doing the things you know you shouldn't do? Now he's going, are we doing the things we know that we should do? We should do these things because we understand that God has first loved us. So we then remember and live in love. And when we fail to do it, it's missing the mark. It is falling short. We are people who are meant to live out our faith in lies that represent who God is. And so much of a Christian mindset today is, oh, please don't let me do the wrong thing. When really, James says, we should start thinking of, show me what's right, and let me live in that. I want to live and do what is right by you. And be honest here. You don't have to raise your hands. It's not a quiz, but just think about this. How many of you, including me, this past week, you can name places where you have forgotten God in your life? I think we all can. I think we all can. And maybe there's something in the midst of that that maybe I could have or should have done that would have been more kind or more loving or more graceful, especially as I drove through the roundabouts this week, you know, that, that I had some good to do and I, and I didn't do them. And this is meant to be an eye-opener for us about how easy it is in our lives to forget Jesus and what he has done to bring us into relationship with him. And I will tell you that one of the things about the book of James that it feels so overwhelming at times. And if you do not understand the gospel or the cross, the book of James could be just this crushing book. Not that life itself on its own isn't, but the James, book of James especially. No matter how old or young that we are, when you read it correctly, it reads deep into our hearts and souls. And it's meant to bring us to a place of humility. Because as terrible as we think that forgetting God is at times, I will tell you, when we realize it, it's a gift. It's a gift of God's Spirit that humbles us, that brings us back to Him over and over. And when God calls us and says, I have works designed for you to do, and you think, I can't do that work you've called me to do. I don't think I have it within me. Well, you know what? That's also grace. Because it's going to lead you to trust and rely on Him. David Brooks writes this, Humility is not thinking lowly of yourself, but accurately about yourself. It's an adequate view of your own nature and a realization that you are not equipped to perform the tasks God has asked you to perform. Because we are to rest in His strength. It's not that we go out and God says, Oh, go do this. Okay, I got my marching orders. Here I go. It's that everything we do, everywhere we live, it is grace. Deo volente, and I'm going to walk with you into each and every single one of these things. And this is why James pushes us to be a people to not forget Jesus in all of our lives. Because, again, we remember him and Christ's sacrifice in all of life because God has not forgotten us. This is not about doing. It's about being. We are God's children. And as that being, that goes to our doing. It goes into then how we begin to live. 
And this is the truth about grace. I told you this one of the first weeks in the book of James, that Matt Chandler talks about that Jesus knew what he was getting when he purchased us with his blood on the cross. He doesn't have buyer's remorse over us. He knew what he was getting when he saves us. It's, like, it's not like he looked at the box and said, oh, this looks great. And he like takes a, a Mike or a Deb or an Aaron or a Mark or a John or a Sean or a Marianne. That's my wife, by the way. His name's Marianne. And, and, he, and, and it's not like he gets that and takes them and opens it up and be like, oh, it's got the leg fell off. I need to return this. I didn't know it was broken. He knew what he was getting when he rescued and saves us. He knew that we would stumble and fall. He knows that we are foolish. He knows that we'd forget him. He knows we think we are so smart and we don't even know what tomorrow holds. He knows that we're missed. So he makes a way for us to be saved in himself. And in a very real way, our Savior saves us and sustains us. And he is the one who encourages us and pushes us on to the finish line of glory. It is all in what he does. And I believe that there will be a day where we no longer wrestle and where pride no longer creeps in, and we no longer forget, and we see him face to face, that we remember him in all of our moments. But I will tell you, that day is not today. And that's not to give you an excuse to live like a dummy. (laughs) What it does is it helps us understand what James said last week, is that we need more grace. We need more grace. And God gives us more grace. See, the Holy Spirit's conviction in our lives is meant to bring an awareness of the arrogance that we so often live in. And when we realize that arrogance, it's not to make us feel depressed. It's meant to make us realize that God has given us another opportunity to repent and return to Jesus in all of our moments. This will only come about when we begin to understand and live in the gospel. That's why every week at Element, we bring you to the place where we talk about the gospel because it is paramount in how we live. If you don't understand the gospel and you read the book of James, the book of James just looks like a bunch of do, 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 do. But if you understand what the gospel is, you realize the book of James doesn't crush us. The book of James is meant to help us to see who we are in humbleness that leads us to a place of trusting and loving and walking with God every moment because he has never once forgotten us, even when we forget him. And this is why every week we try to bring you guys to the place of communion where you take that cracker and you break it like Christ's body was broken for us, and you drink the grape juice as a reminder of what Christ did because God didn't forget us, even in the depth of our own sin and places that we had forgotten him. That God has always been good to us. That our God, who is eternal, has stepped into our finiteness in the person of Jesus to bring us back to himself. And Jesus lives the perfect life that we should have lived. He lives that and gives us his righteousness and he takes our sin upon himself. He dies for us and he gives us his life and takes our death upon himself. And we get to be a people who now live out in the world that reflect him in all that we do. Living out in this world is meant to be done in remembrance of him. And we take communion. Jesus says, do this in remembrance of me. And so communion is meant to bring us back to that place where we remember what Jesus did. Because I will tell you, too often... We forget. I was actually talking to somebody at the Welcome Center after last service, and they asked me this question, how often do you repent? And I'm like, ooh, uh, a lot. <laughs> because I repent right after I forget God and say or do something stupid. I'm like, ah. Oh. And they're like, yeah, you know, I, I just feel like I should do it more than I, than I do. And I'm like, well, what's your definition of repentance? Da, da, da. Anyway, but we kind of had this conversation about this, about what it means to really start to remember God in all of our moments and how much it is grace when we realize that we've forgotten. 
when we realize the places that, that we've run and not been humble. When God's spirit shows that to us, it allows us to take a step back and go, yeah, yeah. And it doesn't crush us. It helps us to understand and see the grace of God more and more. So we'd speak about it and live about it in ways that really make sense. So come and take communion this morning as a remembrance of what Christ has done. And if you need prayer, you know, maybe you are someone who walks outside these doors and all of a sudden, boom, it's like God just leaves your mind for an entire week. It's like, I never thought about him once. And you want to be able to remember. Well, uh, grab whoever is at the Welcome Center. <laughs> after, so I don't know who it's going to be. Uh, but grab them. And we actually have people who have signed up to pray for you this morning. And if you want someone to pray with you and kind of talk and walk through that with you, we would love to be able to have them do that. Uh, we have offering boxes next to all the doors. We give because God gave so much to us. Giving is part of our worship. We do not pass a plate. It's always a response to what God has done, that God remembers us. And so we, in remembrance, also give to him. And I ask you to take some of those sermon notes this week because in those sermon notes, that will remind us to ask one another some of these questions that draw us back to remember who God is and what he is doing, not just in the whole wide world, but in your life specifically. And then how we will take that remembrance and begin to live that out in ways that touch everybody around us. Because God's grace is so good, and yet we are so forgetful that we forget how good it is. And I think this is a way to come back and remember that as we come alongside one another and remind one another of that grace. Because our God is good. Our God is good. And he is the one who leads us and draws him to himself and saves us. So let's be a people who start to remember him in all of our moments. If you remember, you probably wouldn't bring pickles. But anyway, let's pray. <laughs> Father, I want to thank you for being so gracious and good to us as a people. We often forget your goodness. We often forget your love. We often forget your grace. And yet this morning I ask that you would remind us That you would teach us that it's okay to be honest about the places that we forget you. The places where we know the right thing that you call us to do in that moment and yet we do the exact opposite thing. And that sometimes in the midst of that, that is just complete grace. You're reminding us of who you are. Because it will help us to see our own finiteness and should lead us to a place of humbleness before you. Because God, really in the end, we want to be a humble people. We want to be a people who see and recognize you in all of our moments. That you are the one who is eternal. That you are the one who lives in yourself as a seity. And we do not. That we are dependent upon you. And so teach us to live dependent lives. But I ask that as we live those dependent lives, we wouldn't become self-focused saying just, oh, look how God remembered me and looked how God loved me, even though those things are true. But you would teach us to take that great remembrance you have of us and use that to look outward to those around us, to begin to love and show grace to others as you have first shown it to us. Teach us to live in the understanding that there really is none like you. But we as your children want to be more like you. So teach us to remember in all of our moments who you are and your great grace that has been bestowed upon us and that we would live this out in remembrance of who you are and what you have done, bringing you great glory as you teach your people to live in this deep, 
abiding, humble joy that is found solely in you. And we ask this in your son's good name. Amen. Mark's going to drop the curtains. And as he does, just really kind of one question. Where this week have you forgotten God? Where this week maybe has God called you to do something? You just say, no, I'm not really going to do that. Or just because you didn't even think about it. Where have you been forgetting God? And don't let that destroy you. Let it lead you back to a place of thinking about him more in all of your moments. And when God walks you through that and draws you to himself, come and take communion. Again, Jesus says, do this in remembrance of who I am. Well, who is Jesus? Jesus is our eternal God who has come in flesh to rescue and save us. He is the one who is uncreated, and he creates us as his people. And so let's be those who worship him in that. So come and take communion, sing a couple songs with the band. And as we head out into this world, not just today, this week, but the rest of our lives, let's be those who come back to the place that we remember who God is in all of our moments and the places that we forget, that we would be willing to acknowledge our forgetfulness as we remember again who he is and that we would ask God's spirit to lead and guide us in all that we do.